Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Quinn. Wow, this is really loud. Do I really need to be that loud? Because no one's ever accused me of not being loud enough. So we're good? You can hear me okay? Okay, good, good, good. All right, we are in the second week of our series that we are calling The Means of Grace. We did not come up with that term. Bruce has already reminded us, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, uh, came up with that term, the means of grace. And we'll talk more about that. But remember last Sunday when Bruce kicked us off, he started by simply reminding us what grace means. Uh, Reminding us that what grace is, is a gift. It is a beautiful gift of God to us. It is something that we cannot earn. There is nothing we can do to earn the gift of grace that God gives to us is completely undeserved. It is God's unmerited favor. It is God's unconditional love for us. And so throughout this series, what we're going to do is we're going to remember what grace is. We're going to remember that God has lavished his grace on us. And then we will be talking about different practices that we can engage in that will help us experience more and more the working of that grace in our lives. Uh, It's practices that we can engage in that actually serve as channels that God uses to to get more and more of his grace kind of into us and, and it's working in us as we cooperate and we participate to do a work of formation and transformation in our lives. Now, I'll just say this as we begin. Too often we, I don't think, we don't think about the fact that God is delighted with us. God is delighted in us, with us. Um, He is thrilled to show us things about himself. He is thrilled to teach us things about who he is, to give us more and more of himself. He is excited to spend time with us. He loves to spend time with his children. He, he loves it. And we never get to the point in our journey of faith where we have learned everything there is to know, that we have completed something. There's always more. There is always more of God. There is always more grace. There is always more love. There is always more mystery that he reveals to us. Always more. So if you are breathing right now, which I think everybody is in here, okay? Or you will be in a second if you're holding your breath. If you are breathing right now, then the means of grace are for you. It's for you. 
because God's grace is for you and God has a beautiful work he wants to do in you and he has lots of himself that he wants to give to you. So let's just remember that as we talk about all of this. Uh, So the first means of grace that we will talk about today um, is baptism. Baptism. So why do we practice baptism in the church? Well, simply put, because Jesus did. And Jesus told us to. We heard from our scripture this morning in Matthew 28 that Jesus said, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is a sacrament. And that simply means that it is an act of worship that is special because it is given specifically specifically given by Christ to his followers as a way to receive him spiritually. It's a sacrament. Christ himself gave that to us. He participated in it and he gave it to us. Now, you're probably aware that different denominations, different churches practice baptism in different ways. I mean, sometimes the only thing that is the same is that we're using water, okay? And then from there, you get some differences, like how old you should be when you're baptized, or how many times you should be baptized, or how much water is used when you're baptized, things like that. And because of that, I believe that it's important for us to know, anybody to know, wherever they are in church, to understand why you are practicing baptism and any, anything else in the church the way that you are practicing that. Um, it's important to know why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, perhaps you've heard the story of the young woman who was having a large family gathering at her house and she was excited to prepare a roast for the large family gathering just like her mom always did and her mom was there to help her get things ready. And so as she started the meal preparation, she pulled out a large pan and then she got the roast and she pulled it out and then she cut the ends off the roast before placing it in the pan. And her mom looked at her and said, "Honey, why did you cut the ends of the roast off before you put it in the pan? And she was like, well, I always cut the ends of the roast off because you always cut the ends of the roast off when you did it. And I learned from you. And her mom laughed and said, I cut the ends of the roast off because my pan wasn't big enough for it to fit in unless I did that. So this, this young woman, she had a practice. Cutting the ends off the roast. She didn't know why she had that practice. She just did it because she saw her mom do it. So I think in the church, there's a lot of things that we do. We don't know why we do it. We don't know exactly why we practice things the way we do, which isn't terrible. As a child growing up, I didn't always understand why we were doing what we did in church. But I believe God was in it, and I believe that God worked through those things despite of my lack of understanding. But if we can gain um, an understanding of why we do what we do, then we can not only appreciate it more, but we can enter into that practice in deeper, in richer, more fulfilling ways as we practice them together. So let's look back at those three uh, differences that I mentioned earlier. First, let's talk about how old a person should be when they're baptized. What do we do here? Well, in the United Methodist Church, we baptize people of all ages, all ages, adults, youth, children, 
infants, and we have good biblical reasons for that, not the least of which is Jesus' command, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. That's in Matthew 19. Uh, When Peter began to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost, he instructed the people there to repent and be baptized because the promise that he had just delivered was for them and for their children. That's Acts chapter 2. And then later in the book of Acts, we find that entire households received baptism together. Parents, children, household service. That's servants. That's Acts 16. So baptizing infants, though, it's not practiced in all denominations, but it is our practice. And it's because not only of these biblical reasons I've just cited, but of our deep understanding of God's grace and how we believe God's grace works in our lives. Mainly is our understanding of something John Wesley called prevenient grace. And that simply means that God's grace goes before us. It goes before our knowledge of him. It goes before our ability to choose him. Even before our ability to love him back. God goes first. He loves us first. He chooses us first. And God's grace and love for me, it is all God's choice. It is not my choice. It is all God's action. It is not based in my action. Like we said earlier, it is a gift. And we cannot earn that gift. So we believe that baptism is meant for all people because God's grace is meant for all people. Now here's what we don't think when we are baptizing an infant. We are not in any way baptizing an infant because we are fearful that somehow if something terrible happened to that precious child and that child was to pass away, that they would go to hell. We are not reacting out of fear. We are not afraid of that. We are also not saying that there is no need for that child later to profess their faith in Christ. We're not saying that. We are saying, Lord, we believe in your love for us and your choice of us. And we receive that. We receive that. So when parents who are believers bring their child to be baptized, they are making a powerful statement. They are saying, I believe God chooses my child, that God's grace and God's love are available for my child, and that God's grace is at work in the life of my child right now. And they also say, and I will choose Christ and I will continue to follow him. And through God's grace, I will be faithful to him and I will model for my child Christian discipleship. And I will help my child come to the point of professing their own faith in Jesus Christ. 
And the parents are not the only ones who are making a powerful statement when we baptize an infant. The entire congregation then makes a commitment and a statement that says the same thing. We will choose Christ. We will continue to follow him. And through God's grace, we will be faithful to him. And we will model for this child Christian discipleship. And we will do our best to love and teach this child so that child can come to the point of professing their own faith in Jesus Christ. And so every time we participate in a baptism of someone of any age, but I think it's especially obvious when we baptize an infant, we remember again, God loved us first. God chooses us first before we choose him. Baptism is that outward sign of God's claim on our lives, not my claim on God. God's claim on my life. I choose you. Whether you like it or not, God says, I choose you. There's nothing you can do about it, right? And so in baptism, we say, God chooses me. Oh, I am chosen and I am loved. And whenever a person of any age comes forward to receive baptism, they come in the midst of the church because in baptism we're joined with God, but we are also brought into the family of God, supported by a congregation, a family of believers that makes a commitment to help that person, whatever age they are, grow into full discipleship. Okay? So we baptize anyone of any age, and that's our reasoning behind that. So what then do we believe about how many times a person should be baptized? Well, because we believe that it is God's action of choosing us, God's claim on our lives, then we believe a person needs only to be baptized once because God is not unchoosing you. And God is not uninviting you from the family. So if you've already been baptized, it does not need to be repeated, irregardless of what church you were baptized in, because God got it right. He chooses you, and he loves you. You were baptized once, but you might be thinking, well, how am I supposed to practice this means of grace if I'm only baptized once? Every time... We baptize a person in the church. We get to participate in that, and it is that opportunity for us to do what Bruce did with the children this morning. Remember your baptism and be thankful. We remember the truth of what it means to be baptized, that we are lavished in God's grace, that his grace is poured over us, that we get to just swim around in that for the rest of our lives. We remember that, and we enter into that truth of his grace for us. All right, what about the amount of water that is used? We will use any amount of water to baptize someone. Now, what you see most in a Methodist church is what? Sprinkling, right? I mean, now we're going to sprinkle a tiny baby because they're a tiny baby, and that makes sense, right? And you're like, here, baby, you know, just dunk them up under the water. So that makes sense. We sprinkle adults too, but I'm telling you, we will pour an entire pitcher of water over your head. 
if you want that. And we will be happy to immerse anybody who would like to be immersed. A few years ago, we were out at Cane Break Lake with, with three or four youth, and we baptized them all in the lake. I've, I've had youth baptized in swimming pools. We have brought big tanks in into the front of a Methodist church, and we have dunked some kids. I mean, we, we, it doesn't matter. The amount of water is not uh, the big deal but it is the water that is the symbol of what baptism is. The waters of baptism are that outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace that is happening in our lives. And if you think about water, there's really no better symbol to use in baptism. Water is life. Water is life. So so this week I attended uh, the Global Leadership Summit and um, I heard a story of a man who owned a water pump business in Oklahoma. And to make a long story short, he ended up going on several mission trips to villages across the world that had no clean, no running water in their villages. And besides the obvious health and hygiene problems that would come from not having available to you immediately clean running water, the children in those villages, because they didn't have water, they couldn't go to school, okay? So, so this man enlisted the help of one of his friends, and they figured out a way to develop, um, to build a water pump for about $100. And then he takes these water pumps, and he installs them in these villages where they've never had running water before. And then they played a video of a group of children from this village who were using this pump for the first time after it had been installed. And the sheer joy that erupted spontaneously from these children was just beautiful. They were shouting. They were jumping up and down. They were spinning. They were running. They were dancing. That water was life for them. But while water is life, water can also be death. Now we see this dual nature of water all over scripture. In Genesis 1, we read that when God created the heavens and the earth, God's spirit hovered over the waters and he brought order to them. That's life. But in Genesis 6, the waters of the great flood flood in Noah's day destroyed everything that was not on the ark. Death. When Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt, the waters of the Red Sea parted for them to pass through. Life. But when Pharaoh's army tried to come through, the waters covered them and they were drowned. Death. Water is life and water is death. And water is is death in that it can suffocate and destroy and tear apart, dismantle, but water also cleanses and nourishes and renews. Water is life. So water is the symbol of baptism because of this truth. In baptism, we are united with Christ in his death, but it unites us with him in his resurrection. As well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Now I said earlier that uh, we practice baptism in the church. Because Jesus practiced baptism. Now, 
have you ever thought about Jesus' baptism and asked yourself, like, why was Jesus baptized? Why was Jesus baptized? So I asked Bruce this the other day because, honestly, I don't even know why, but that question had never entered my mind before. I was like, Jesus was baptized. I know. I get it. But I had never said, but why? So we had this great conversation, really fun conversation, and here's some of what we discussed. Jesus was baptized, and in effect, he was saying, you know what? I renounce. I turn away from anything that is not of my Father. I turn away from anything selfish. I turn away from anything prideful, and I surrender my will to the Father. Think about Philippians 2 where it says, Though he was God, he did not regard equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Think about it. Before Jesus laid down his life for us, he died to himself first. He died to himself. His baptism was a sign of his full surrender to his father, testified that he was making a choice to live in full and loving obedience to his father. And as he was immersed in those waters, he was also immersing himself in his father's grace, like saying, I receive your grace. I receive every single bit of it so that I can have the strength that it will give me to do what I need to do to live faithfully to you and to lay down my life for the sake of the world. I immerse myself fully, Father, in everything you have to give me so I can be successful. And he did it because the power of the grace of the Father covering him and the strength of the Holy Spirit covering him, he did it. And from his death came life, came life. Jesus is our example of what the immersed life looks like, dying to yourself, pouring yourself out for others, and rising to new life. So Bruce mentioned the fountain in the atrium. Uh, hard to miss when you're walking in, isn't it? I love the sound of it. I love you come in and it's just right there and you can hear those waters moving around. That fountain is there for you. It is there for you. It, we are going to have it up throughout this entire series. Um, so that's, that's really going to be all the way into October that that fountain is going to be out there. We hope. That every time you see that fountain, every time you come in and you hear those waters and you see that water, that you will consider the grace of God and you will choose again to immerse yourself fully in his grace. We encourage you, put your hands in it. Throw some coins in it. That's fine. But put your hands in it. Get your hands wet. Maybe put a little on your forehead, you know, and say, thank you, God, 
for your grace. Let me not take it for granted. Help me to enter fully into this. And as we talk more and more about different practices that we can do, we'll give you a challenge each week. Maybe enter more fully into reading scriptures than you have before or prayer more than you have before. Learn something new about these things. But it all comes back to the fact that I can do this and I can grow because God chose me first. And God loves me. And he's never unchoosing me. Never. And so I put my hands in it and I place it on my head and I remember my baptism and I'm thankful. And if you have never been baptized, but you want to receive more of the grace of God in your life, you want to surrender your life to him, find Bruce, find myself, find Julie, find Wes, find David. There's lots of us. Find us. We would love to talk to you about being baptized, and we'll do it however you want. If we go off-site, though, we're taking a representation of the the family of God with us because we don't do baptism alone. We do it in the community of the family. Let me close with this. Um, This is from a, a book that we're actually using to guide us through this series, The Means of Grace aptly titled, uh, by Andrew Thompson. I just want to close with these last two paragraphs. The final image of God's salvation in the Bible comes in Revelation when the new Jerusalem is described. It is the picture of the church as she will be when all things are brought to completion, the bride adorned for her husband. Running through the middle of that city will be a river, which is the river of life. After describing this beautiful scene, Scripture tells us, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I read that passage as a baptismal bookend to the whole New Testament. The story of Jesus begins with the river, which the Son of God enters to receive his own baptism. And that story ends with another river, which all men and women are called to seek out so they can drink and never thirst again. The waters of that river are baptismal waters, and we are invited to dive in. You are invited to dive in. Dive in deep. Swim around in God's grace and love for you. Enter in more fully. Let him show you new and beautiful things about himself. Let him delight and dance over you. And delight yourself in the love of your Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this gift of grace that you have lavished upon us. Lord, thank you for baptism. Thank you that we can just come and receive. And that by your grace working in and through us, you will empower us to go deeper still with you. Father, let us not take it for granted. But Lord, we thank you that you always go before us, even our understanding of you. Even now, Lord, there are so many ways that we don't fully understand you. And yet, you never leave. And you continue to teach. Form us, Lord. Transform us, Lord. In the love of your grace and through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.